There were four emails that stood out to me on Black Friday last week. Each of them delivers a critical lesson for entrepreneurs, particularly the earliest folks. The people still trying to get a foothold with customers are just trying to figure out if people care enough about their startup idea for them to pursue. I'm going to tell you about all four emails. But first, I need to tell you a quick story about Find Your Lobster and Vanity. To jog your memory, Find Your Lobster was the dating app I built back in 2011. It looked a lot like Tinder or Hinge, but was nearly a year before either. The reason I built it was so that people could leverage their Facebook connections and meet and date their friends' friends. As hard as it might be to remember now, stigma around dating sites in 2011 was crippling. When I did customer interviews, most people admitted they'd rather be alone and sad than happy in a relationship if it meant people knew they'd used a dating app to find their partner. This stigma was so strong that nearly every investor I pitched in 2011, just a year before Tinder would become the fastest growing app in the history of the Apple Store, told me that, and I quote, no good looking people in their 20s will ever use a dating app. I was then told that even if they did, they would never connect to a Facebook account because that would reveal their actual name. OkCupidAndMatch.com, the big guys at the time, never revealed who you actually were. As a guy building a dating app for people in their 20s who'd probably need to raise money at some point, these meetings were not encouraging. I realized I would need to show some momentum before raising from professional investors, so I tried to get some with a duct tape and bubblegum MVP a totally hacked together proxy of what my product would eventually look like. Duct tape and bubblegum is honestly overselling it. It was an email. I'd gotten about 75 people interested in the app through friends and customer interviews. I'd had to tell them over and over that I'd never share their identity, but once we were past that, they were actually pretty pumped to meet their friends' single friends. The test I ran was with those 75 people and it looked like this. I created an email template with nine boxes. Those boxes showed the Facebook profile picture of nine single people. Below each picture, I listed the person's first name, a few of their interests pulled directly from Facebook, and the number of mutual friends they shared with the recipient. The process was manual as hell. Below the boxes, the email said to respond to me with the names of the people they were interested in meeting. Below that, read a sentence that read, If you like this, tell some friends. The more people share, the more people you'll be able to potentially meet. Email me if you're interested in joining. People loved these emails. The first four days, I got responses nearly every day from nearly every person on the list. I'd email the people who had liked each other, which was a little bit awkward, but they would remove me immediately and start chatting. I heard about dates actually happening or being planned. Things were going great for four days. The problem came on day five, the first Friday. I'd only had enough single people for four days worth of emails, but I assumed people would share the email and invite their friends. That didn't happen, not even once. Not a single person shared, so we had no new single people. When it came time to make Friday's email, I panicked. We didn't have anyone new to send. I didn't want to skip the day. I thought about sending a playlist or activities for the weekend or something else, but for some reason I landed on a different option. I sent out an email with the, quote, winners of the week. These were the two people who had been liked the most the past four days. Their names were Alex and Lauren, and I photoshopped little crowns on their heads. I made a corny joke about how they should just date something else about prom king and queen and press send. I kept the footer on the bottom of the email, the one that prompted people to share, solely because I forgot to delete it. Within minutes of the email going out, my inbox started filling up. 
Things like Alex forwarded me this hilarious. He won. I'd love to join for next week or Lauren sent me or Lauren said I would like this or Alex passed this along and on and on and on. We added 40 people that Friday with more than 30 coming directly from Alex and Lauren. No one wanted to share the email until they were separated, elevated until they were chosen. And then no one cared about the stigma. So they shared. The question I get asked the most before people have a product is always around getting customers involved. How do I find people to interview? How do I get people to take this survey I made? How do I get a wait list before my product launches? How do I create some buzz so that I can raise money? Entrepreneurs find out very quickly that no one wants to join your newsletter. No one wants to be alerted when you launch. Nobody wants to hear your story, but you need them to do that to validate your idea either to yourself or to an investor or to a potential co-founder. So what do you do? Today, we'll talk about how you can implement all the things we know about human behavior to get those early customers involved. This is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. I made you wait a long time for the music today, so we'll keep this part short. If you've got a startup idea, head to gettacklebox.com. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, I think you should. It's really good. It's been called the best startup newsletter on the internet. It's also at gettacklebox.com. If you need a book rec, something that'll get you primed for the new year, I'd really suggest Essentialism. It's one of my favorites, and it'll help you focus on the stuff that matters. We'll pop it in the show notes. And if you want a template for a year-end review, I found these things really interesting. I found one that I really like and I'm going to do this year. I'll pop it in the show notes as well. Back to it. You've got a big job ahead of you. You're starting with nothing, an idea pulled out of thin air. And you've got to spin that idea into something that exists with customers and character and promises and value, something with a price tag, something that means something to someone. This seems daunting, so we overthink it and we underthink it. We ignore things that would be helpful because there's such a fire hose, it's tough to tell what matters and what will create impact and what doesn't. But I can tell you one thing that's important for everyone starting a business. You need customers, and you need those customers to share for you. That's how you grow. Early on, you won't be able to afford true, robust customer acquisition. You can't afford to jump into the deep end of a Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn ad pool with all the lazy venture-backed startups that have jacked up that price. You can't afford the type of Google ads or placement or partnerships that'll actually help you grow either. You'll need to find those unscalable, free or cheap or overlooked channels, the niche newsletters, the Reddit threads, the communities, the in real life stuff. But most importantly, you'll need two things. First, your very first customers to talk to other customers. The most powerful marketing by far will always be personal recommendation. You need to optimize for that, especially early when you have no brand to lean on. Second, your touch points need to make a disproportionately large impact with your customers compared to competitors. You won't get a lot of interactions with your customers and you need to make them count. If you do those two things well, you've got a shot. If you don't, you don't. This podcast is about planning your growth. Most people think organic growth means ass backwards growth, growth that you can't plan for that hopefully it just happens because of your personality or your voice or your brand or whatever. That is not the definition of organic growth, and it's most certainly not a good thing. It's a cop-out. Organic growth is planned and leverages human behavior. It's more meticulous than bigger ad campaigns, not less. Meticulous planning can still feel authentic, though. It needs to. 
For a marketing nerd like myself, last Friday was the Marketing Olympics. Every brand on the same stage vying for attention and trying to accomplish those two core goals, to make an impact and to get people to talk. I love Black Friday. I probably got a few hundred emails during the lead up to and the big day itself. Four stood out. All four have lessons. Let's get into them. The first email that stood out was from The Hustle. The subject read, in all caps, needs approval, and then Black Friday email draft. The email was apparently from the CEO to the rest of the team internally, and apparently was meant to stay that way. It said something about being pumped up for the sale that they would send live to customers on Friday and for the team to double check the links and codes and everything before sending. This went out Thursday. A few minutes later, the CEO replied to that email with the subject, wow, I can't believe I just sent you that. That email talked about the embarrassing mistake he just made and it actually upped the Black Friday deal that they had planned as an apology. I first saw that email when our COO Tamara forwarded along with a note do you think they actually messed this up or do you think it was planned? We then talked about it a bit. Another friend then reached out about it. I forwarded it to yet another friend saying the tactic was clever, whether it was on purpose or not. The hustle stood out. They got me talking. Do I actually think the CEO accidentally sent that email? No, of course not. It was definitely planned, but it still worked. And it was still on some level kind of risky. So I respect it. The first tactic you want to think about when you're trying to break through the clutter is to be unexpected. It's Black Friday, so people are expecting sales emails. They'll get 100 of those, 50% off, up to 70% off, whatever. What they're not expecting is maybe an embarrassing mistake from a CEO, maybe something relatable. We can all picture ourselves sending mistake email to our customer base. We know how that feels. The hustle created an opportunity for us to all gossip, to get in on the joke with them. People love gossiping. People love looking behind the curtain. In Jonah Berger's fantastic book, Contagious, he talks about Snapple facts. They're interesting. They're almost always unexpected. They're very shareable. They're conversation worthy, so they spread. What the hustle did was unexpected and conversation worthy. So it spread to me multiple times and from me multiple times. Very few other emails that day did. How do you plan for something like this? It's less about creativity and more about knowing what normal looks like. This is hard. You need to remove yourself and come at everything from the customer's perspective. What are they getting that day? Black Friday, they're getting sales emails, so send something distinctly different. Next, you need to know what people are programmed to share. Then you need to combine something unexpected with something people are programmed to share. The second email that stood out to me was from Patagonia. Their email included no sale. They don't do sales on Black Friday. The title of the email was how to buy less. The email then taught you how to repair your old Patagonia clothes. They had a DIY guide for repairs and then one button that allowed you to contact Patagonia to repair something with a more complex problem. Patagonia has a strong brand. This messaging reinforces what they've already built. You may push back on me and say that you can't afford to take a stand like this because you don't have the brand that they have. But I'd argue you can't afford not to. If you've got 100 customer emails and you're sending out an email on Black Friday, it feels safe to just offer 25% off and call it a friends and family deal. Maybe even 40% off. But thinking of our goals, word of mouth and differentiation, that does neither. 
I've got a bonus email that stood out to me. It took the same general approach as Patagonia, but it might feel more relevant to you because of where they are in their process. It came from a company that is basically brand new. I don't know them personally, but they only had a handful of Instagram followers, a couple of pictures up, very limited selection on their site. I think they're new. I was forwarded their Black Friday email by a friend. I wasn't already on their list. This company sells houseplants. It's a competitor to the sill, but right now they really only focus on succulents, it appears. The subject of the email was plants move around all day. Inside the email, there were time-lapse videos of houseplants over 24-hour periods. The videos are wild. The plants are constantly active, constantly in motion, bending and following the sun, opening and closing, reacting when flies or bees land on them. It's mesmerizing. It's unexpected. Those are the two criteria for things people share. And I did. The company then offered 25% off their plants in the body of the email. I forwarded the email to some friends, then considered buying a plant. I still might. I signed up for their emails and immediately got more time-lapse videos. Now I'm in their mid-funnel. They earned a potential customer. Unexpected and interesting always wins. The third email that stood out to me leaned on the effect of being chosen. It reminded me of a story from a tackle box company. A company went through our program with an idea to leverage micro-influencers to help brands find new acquisition channels a few years back. The idea was to create a marketplace with lots of these, quote, influencers who had under 1,500 followers on Instagram, but still got lots of engagement on their posts. Brands would send these micro-influencers clothes or shoes or whatever to wear for a weekend, plus 100 bucks per post. The micro-influencers would post the pictures, tag the company, and then return the clothes on Monday. The posts weren't meant to be obvious ads. That was the whole point. They would be natural, just these people in the gear. Acquiring micro-influencers is maybe the easiest case of customer acquisition we've ever had at Tacklebox. A few ads posted to various channels looking for people with under 1,500 followers who wanted to be influencers got, predictably, an insane reaction. The founder then made a digestible list of all the micro-influencers who'd signed up and sent them out to brands. The brands picked a handful of people they wanted to work with, and the founder facilitated the weekend. Everything went off more or less without a hitch. Except for one thing. The micro-influencers kept putting hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored post in the posts, signifying that they were being paid for the post. The brand specifically didn't want this. They wanted it to be natural. So the founder passed this along to the micro-influencers. The same deal would hold for next weekend, but you weren't allowed to put anything in the post that showed that this was an ad. All but one of the micro-influencers pulled out. They didn't care about the money anymore. The money wasn't important. What was important was writing hashtag ad. It was important to show that comparative social currency, to show to everyone on Instagram that they had been chosen by a brand. If they couldn't say it was an ad, then they weren't telling people they were chosen. And what was the point? Anyone could just buy the clothes. Is this an ugly trait? Maybe. It's definitely human, whatever it is. And this is why the third email stood out to me on Black Friday. Sure, it's a bit embarrassing, but it is what it is. The email is from a company that helps you transcribe your podcasts. The title of the email was, quote, idea to startup is growing fast. I almost broke my finger clicking the open button. Inside the email, it said that I've been growing faster than 95% of podcasts the past quarter and that I was now qualified to use their services. Basically, they were now going to let me pay them. And I was pumped. 
I even shared the email to the team asking if this might be worth us buying. Really, the only reason I shared it was to peacock a bit on the growth rate. We already transcribe our podcasts. We did not need this company. Humans are easy. We're predictable. We like flattery and we like being chosen. And if we can share that we've been chosen, like in the find your lobster example that opened the pod, all the better. So your job is to work backwards. Start with the moment where you choose someone and give them something to share. Then reverse architect your way into making sure that it happens. People run on scarcity and exclusivity. Your job is to set them up. This is everywhere in plain sight. The Forbes 30 under 30 list now has roughly 75 different categories and about 10,000 people who are somehow the 30 under 30. And every single one of those people posts about how humbled and honored they are to be selected on LinkedIn. They can't help themselves. And so they spread Forbes. So if you can create that moment for them, it'll break through the clutter and they'll share it. The last email that stood out was from a company called Lolly. The tactic they used was game mechanics. Lolly is incredibly interesting. I'll link to them in the show notes. This email too was forwarded to me. Interesting that of the emails that stood out, three of them were actually sent by other people. The subject of Lolly's email was earn Bitcoin with every purchase. Unique and unexpected. Bitcoin is exploding again. I don't know much about Bitcoin, but I do know two things. It's expensive and it's not transactional. People are buying it to invest. It's like buying Tesla stock. If someone said they'd give me Tesla stock for every purchase I made, that'd be pretty interesting and unexpected. I'd pay attention. I also know lots of people are considering buying Bitcoin right now. I know that because people tell me that constantly. And now Lolly is telling me that they'll give me this coveted asset for free? The product itself works like honey, if you've ever used that. It sits in your browser and gives you points for purchases with brands that you are already going to make. I signed up. In the confirmation email, I was told that I would receive $10 in Bitcoin for every person I referred. The stock message they gave me to share was amazing. It said, quote, I don't understand people who don't shop with Lolly, and then it had my referral link. I've searched Twitter, and lots of people have posted that. The Lolly website itself let me create a profile in no time that had one big number, how much Bitcoin I'd accrued through shopping the referrals. It's at zero right now, but it showed how much Bitcoin had gained in the last couple of months and showed me ways to get that number higher. Game mechanics are an amazing way to stand out and push customers to talk. People love big, visible numbers that can grow. We love quick feedback loops, and we love comparing our numbers to other people's numbers. That means sharing. As soon as Lolly gave me a number I cared about, the amount of Bitcoin earned, and a way to grow that number and look like an insider to my friends, I was hooked. Now all I want to do is increase that number. I want to share it with people. I want to talk about it on this podcast. As I said, the link's in the show notes, by the way. Help my number go up. Humans are obsessed with watching numbers grow. I've watched people sit in Union Square near my old apartment and just watch the numbers on that giant clock click away. Set up a scenario to allow your customers to do that. When I read out these podcasts, I start with a blank piece of paper and write one sentence. What do I have to say that's really worth saying? For this one, it was that there are tried and true methods to get people interested and to get people to share that we ignore. We get caught in the safe and the expected. That guarantees you safe and expected results, which are not what you want. Leveraging how humans actually act and reverse engineering the specific moments that will pinpoint when people will share is your best strategy. 
You can't do this haphazardly. You can't do it ass backwards. Inspiration for this podcast came from Jonah Berger's brilliant book, Contagious. I highly suggest reading it or listening to it on Audible and plotting your marketing. I'll put it in the show notes. This is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you're looking to get your street MBA, we're launching our new self-serve program on how to build a startup in January. Head to gettacklebox.com backslash self-serve, all one word, to get on the list. Have a great week.